All right, 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read the section we're going to cover now, verses 12 through 21. Some of you are probably excited because I'm going to read a, actually verses we haven't looked at yet. All right. So I will always, Peter says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to try to cover all of this section tonight. So what I want to do is you notice Peter also is picking up speed. as he's, He was very specific, and that's why we took the time to really look at the detail of the first section of chapter, uh, chapter 1. Um, but now in the second half of this chapter, he's begun to pick up speed. And, and that's good for us because we're running short on time. Uh, so, but what he also knows is that his time is running short. Did you catch what he said here? He knows that his time left on the earth is running short. And he wants to encourage and equip in the days that he has left. Uh, look closely at what he's saying here. He says in verse 12, I want to remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Because I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as Jesus, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now, some think that that was just simply that um, that he was that's back in John 21 where Jesus told Peter how he was going to die. But that doesn't account for the fact that he said, I'll soon put it aside as Jesus has made clear to me. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Yes, and that's actually the picture that's here. He, this is more than just him remembering 20-something years ago or that Jesus made this statement that he was going to die and how he was going to die when they walked on the beach in John 21. This is actually showing a picture of actually he's had it revealed to him by the Lord that his time to go, to the, to home, go home was very close. And what I want to do is I'm going to actually walk you through a study tonight, not of all of them, but quite a few. Because we're going to do something with each of these passages. So I want you to write down these passages as we go to them. Because we're going to come back to them as well. I want to show you that actually the scripture does kind of give a picture. That there are those who are intimate with God. Those who walk closely with him. Whom he actually sometimes will give them a little heads up. That he's about to take them home. We know that the Bible, we're not going to even look at that one. We know the Bible says Enoch walked with God and he was no more. And he took him. I just preached this, uh, this afternoon at the Men in Motion about the going the distance that makes the difference and showed them the difference in Mark chapter 4 of when Jesus preached to the masses in parables. But then that section in verses 30 through 35 say that what he did next, though, was when he was alone with his disciples, he'd explained. We talked about the difference between coming to preaching and getting some understanding and then going home and spending time alone with God so that he would explain it even more deeply. So I want you to hear something I'm about to say to you so that you understand it. 
It's actually a quote from uh, Charles Stanley from years ago. He says, God does not have favorites, but he does have intimates. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to illustrate it to you. Some of you may understand it the way I'll illustrate it to you. God does not have favorites. He loves everyone the same. But he does have intimates. And for those of you that have had more than one child, you hopefully don't love one more than the other. But you do know that there are some of your children that you have a closer relationship with than the others, depending on their desire to be with you, their makeup or whatever. You know that you love all your children, but some you have a different relationship with. And I just want to challenge you. I believe that the Bible shows that that intimate relationship is available to all of us. But the question is, are we going to be willing to go the distance that makes the difference? See, when I say that, I'm talking about the difference between the prophets of God who were there at Bethel and those who were there at Jericho when Elijah was going to be taken home. We're going to get to them in just him, it is one of our illustrations in just a second. But if you remember, the prophets knew that God was going to take Elijah. But the difference between those prophets and Elisha was Elisha kept walking further. And he got to see Elijah taken into heaven when the other prophets did not. And so I just want to challenge you as we take a look at this. Here, Peter has an intimate relationship with the Lord, so much so that he actually knew that it was his time to go. Some of us probably could tell stories of people we know in our lifetime that had a deep, close walk with Jesus Christ. And they even had an idea when it was time for them to go. And so here in Peter, here in verse chapter uh, 1, verses 13 and 14, he says that the Lord has shown him that he will soon put that tent of, of our body aside. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, he says, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Now, some might say, well, Jim, all Paul was just saying was he was in prison at the time. He probably was having a low day. He just thought he was going to die. No, let me show you the difference between what he says here and something he said earlier in Philippians chapter one when he was in a different prison. All right. So here in Timothy, he says it's time to come for his departure. Go with me to Philippians chapter one and look at verses 20 through 26 Paul says I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? Hmm, I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, to, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is, if it is more necessary for you that I remain in the, sorry, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Here you see Paul thinking out loud. He's wrestling right now. He's in prison. Is this the end? He goes, I'm torn. Boy, if this is the end, that'd be great. I'm ready to go be with Jesus and 
That would be better by far. But you know what? If I stay in the body, that's more labor, and I will be rewarded for it, which means more reward in heaven. Because I'm kind of torn between the two. I want the reward that the Lord's promised me for eternity, yet I'd sure like to be with Jesus right now. And some of you who understand what I'm talking about, you know this struggle. Folks, I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm only 47. I ain't suicidal, but I'm ready to go. Amen. This world has lost its appeal. All right. Not that it ever had much for me, but it's losing it every single day. And there's a temptation at times to just say, Lord, let's go. But then he says, if it was time, I would have taken you. So you got more I want to do through you. But Paul wrestled with it and he came to the conclusion. You know what? I think I'm supposed to stay. But at the end of his life, he said, it's time for my departure. He knew the Lord had given him a little heads up that it was time to go. Now, some of you have heard someone say, I don't need to know when I'm going to die. I just need to know where. And that way, if I would just totally avoid that place is what people say. But uh, that's not the attitude we're talking about here. Go to uh, go to Second Kings chapter two. Second Kings chapter two. In 2 Kings chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 12. It says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not, le not leaving you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but don't speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? He said, yes, I know, but don't speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and, of, and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them apart. Again, in this instance, we see Elijah knew when it was time for him to go. God had given him a heads up. Let me give you another example. Go to Deuteronomy 32 and let's look at Moses. Deuteronomy 32. We're going to be in verses 48 through 52. Chapter 32, verses 48 through 52. It says, On that same day, the Lord told Moses, Go up into the Abiram range to Mount Nebo in Moab, across from Jericho, and view Canaan, the land I am giving the Israelites as their own possession. 
There on the mountain that you have climbed, you will die and be gathered to your people just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. This is because both of you broke faith with me in the presence of the Israelites at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin, and because you did not uphold my holiness among the Israelites. Therefore, you will see the land only from a distance. You will not enter the land I'm giving to the people of Israel. Now, you say, well, that's, that's kind of a bummer. Well, yes, but think about the intimate love relationship that God has with Moses, that he would at least let him come see it. He brings him so he at least can see it. Now, I'm going to ask you a trick question. Did Moses ever step foot in the land, the promised land? Yes. yes. Very good. He did. And you're going to read about it today as we go a little bit further. When Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, as we call it, who was standing there with him? Moses and Elijah. I was a young seminary student years and years ago. Thought I knew my Bible. I was one of those young guys proud of my Bible knowledge and how much more I had than everybody else. And uh, I had two experiences that just God used to really humble me and have me spend more time in the Word. One was when I was preaching at this church in Louisiana and uh, this lady was doing a children's sermon. And uh, she had all the kids come down to the front and she had a little horse's bit, you know. And she also had a, a model of a ship, a big ship. And she did this great children's sermon about how this little bitty piece of metal can turn a whole horse around. And this big old ship, it's turned by this little itty bitty rudder. And then she talked about how the tongue, even though it's a small thing, can do a whole lot of damage. And after the service was over, I went up to her and I said, look, that's the best illustrations I've ever heard. Where in the world did you get those ideas? She goes, the book of James? <laughs> I was no longer impressive as the guest preacher that day. <laughs> then later on, I had a man come up to me at another church, and he said, did Moses ever step foot in the promised land? And, and I, no, 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 God said no. And then he took me to Matthew 17 and some of the places we're gonna look at today and showed me, what about that? Wow, I guess he did. But what I want you to see here is the intimate relationship with the fact that God let Moses know when it was his time. He didn't just strike him dead. They were close. See, there's a picture of who God is that a lot of us have missed. See, folks, I want you to move beyond I go to church. I want you to move beyond I'm a good Christian and I try to do good things. I want you to become men and women who have that godliness we talked about. Remember, that's a hungering and a thirsting for God where you are more interested in your relationship with God and not just serving God, but getting to know him. Listen to me. Think back to when God's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he and the other two angels are making their way from Abraham to Sodom and Gomorrah where Abraham's got relatives. And if you go back and look, God says, shall I hide what I'm about to do from my friend? And Jesus says, I don't, John 15, I don't call you friends anymore. I'm sorry, I don't call you servants anymore because the servant doesn't know his master's business. I call you friends. Folks, I want you to understand, God doesn't have to tell us everything. And please don't hear me say that he's going to tell every one of you if you're intimate with him when you're going to die. That's not what I'm saying. But I want you to see who God is. And the fact, though, that there's a lot more that he wants to share with us. Things that he'll give us heads up on, heads up on if you will. And Peter and Paul and Elijah and Moses... Well, let me give you one more. Go to Luke chapter 2. Let me show you another man. Simeon. In Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 35. 
This is Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 35. Page <laughs> I used to know what page it was on when I was pastor in a church, at least in the Pew Bible, you know. It says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, that's Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There's a couple things here I want you to not miss. Simeon was told, you're not going to die until you see the consolation, the, the Messiah. But it, wasn't, it was more than just that. Was it up to Simeon to try to make sure he was in the right place at the right time? Moved by the Spirit, the Spirit said, hey, why don't you head over to check, head over to the, the, to the temple today. There's an intimate relationship that is available to us, folks. It's not just saying I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. The Spirit of God indwells you and He will speak to you and He'll guide you. Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you, He'll lead you, He'll take from what is mine and make it known to you. And I want you to understand, the Lord does not have favorites, but He does have intimates. I want to challenge you to be one of those. Oh, the only way that's going to happen is if you go the distance that makes the difference. If you stop sitting back and thinking that I had a good sermon or I listened to a gym teacher Bible study. But I want you when I say, hey, go home and look at these passages that you have right down. Oh, we don't have time for this. Write this down and go take time. Go spend time alone because it's in those times that God begins to teach you how to recognize his voice and he speaks to you intimately and talks specifically to you in those times that you need him. And I'm tempted to re-preach my message from this morning, but I'm not going to do it. We're going to keep going here. So the first thing I want you to see is that there are times that God told his intimates that it was time for them to go home. But you get the idea. There are more illustrations, but that's, not, that's the idea. But the second thing I want you to see, though, is this. When Peter knew it was his time had, had come to go home, when he knew that it was time to go home, he used it as an opportunity to pass on truth and encouragement before he left. He didn't say, ha ha, I get to go. You all bums get to stay. <laughs> no, he didn't do that, did he? He could have easily danced around and said, I'm going home. I'm, you know, he didn't do that. He realized my time to be used to the Lord, to point people to the Lord is getting short. And I want to use this opportunity that I have to pour into these people's lives. Go back to these passages we just looked at and with some of the verses nearby. And we take a look. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 12 through 13 and then verse 15. 
He says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? I'm teaching with, Becky's doing more of it because she's home more than me, but I had the privilege of riding with Elise today. She's finishing up her driving and we're teaching her how to drive and she's almost ready to get her license. And I don't know how many times I would say something to her and she would say, I know, I know. Well, look at what happens here. Paul, Peter says, I will remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Why? Why do I keep saying something that she already knows? Because it's important and I want to help pour and pound it into the brain a little bit more. You know why? And we'll get to that in a little bit, a little bit but we forget. We forget. He says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Now look at verse 15. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you'll always be able to remember these things. He wasn't even thinking that, boy, when I'm, when I'm done and I'm in heaven, man, I just, uh, uh, he said, I'm going to make sure that after I go, that things are put in place to help you remember these things. Why? Because that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. Go to Paul's situation. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I mean, chapter four, but look at verses one through six, right before Paul says that it's time for him to go. Look at what he says right before that. Second Timothy four, verse one, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. He's talking to Timothy. Preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge the, all the duties of your ministry, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. He realized it was time for him to go, and he said, i got to make sure Timothy understands these things. And it wasn't just Timothy. There's many other people's lives he poured into because he wanted to make sure that they understood the things that God had called him to get in their head and in their heart. Uh, Elijah. There's something, you don't have to turn back there, but if you want to write it down and look at it later, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. You remember? As Elijah and Elisha are walking along, they cross the Jordan, and they're now all alone. Just Elijah and Elisha. The other prophets have left behind. And in verse 9, Elijah says to Elisha, what can I do for you before you go? He wasn't thinking of just himself. What can I do for you before you go? And that's when Elisha said a bold prayer. I love that. I'd like a double portion of your spirit. I mean, God has been all over and all in you. I, I would love to have twice as what you have. And Elijah's answer is awesome. He says, you know what? That's, that's a big thing you're asking for. But you know what? That's between you and God. And if he chooses to do it, here's how you'll know. If you see me when I'm taken, you have it. But I love the fact that before he left, Elijah says, what can I do for you before you go? Yes, ma'am. And Elijah was intimate enough that in that split second, he was able to say, God will give it to you if you walk through. Yep. He knew the right thing. God gave him what to say to Elisha at that time. Here's the word. I've seen Dan and Carlisle in this last six months be such a bold witness. Oh, yeah. In every way. Every time I've seen them, they've got those words that come out. 
They have been living this because they knew their time was short. As I've been dealing with Dan because he and I meet for breakfast every, we've been doing now for two, three years. On Tuesdays when I'm in town, he and I meet at McDonald's up the road and we, we just spend an hour or two with our Bibles and just encouraging each other. And I've been able to walk with Dan through this. It's been an interesting journey. And as it become clear that, you know, we've prayed for God to do a miracle and God's chosen to take her home as we know. And uh, what's been interesting is, is I've come to realize that, that the answer was no and that he was even gonna go to heaven. They spent their time pouring into the lives of their daughters and their friends and their family. And this is what we're talking about, folks. And I'm going to say something about that in just a second. But you're right. You're right. Look at in Moses again. We're not going to turn there. Uh, I'll just read it for you real quick. But in Moses' situation, we saw at the end of chapter 32 that he was told that he would die. So in chapter 33 of Deuteronomy, listen to what it says in verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1. Let me find it real quick. Right after he's been told that he's going to die. In verse 1 it says, This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. Do you see it? He then went and blessed. And he gave encouragement at the same time. He prophesied about what was to come. He warned them to follow God. He challenged them to be obedient. He warned them what would happen if they didn't. And there's a lot of amazing prophecy in that time as he spoke to the Israelites before he went. Simeon, we read already in Luke 20, chapter 2, verses 28 through 35. He said, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. I've seen it. But he wasn't done there, was he? He then went and prophesied about this Jesus. And then he went to Mary and Joseph and he spoke some words into their lives as well. And he gave them a little heads up. Sword's going to pierce your heart. And I can guarantee you those words were remembered when Mary stood there at the cross and watched her son die. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you living your life so as to prepare others to follow Jesus for themselves after you go? Now, you and I may not know when it is that we're to go. God may not give us a heads up. With that in mind, are you living your lives so that you will point people to him? Because this might be your last day. We don't know. None of us know. And so I just want to challenge you. I know that this has been something that in the last three to four, maybe five years of my life that I've really, as God's begun to really speak to my heart and challenge me and grow me and teach me about grace. The biggest thing I think that I really want to pass on to my kids is, do they know how to hear him for themselves? I'm not trying to teach them to be a good Christian. Here are the rules you need to follow. Because I know our flesh will argue with every rule. I want to teach my kids how to be sensitive to when God is speaking. So there are times when we do wrong. There are times we disobey when God speaks to us. I know you know what I'm talking about, don't you? So a lot of times when I used to come down, when my kids would do some of those things, when they would disobey or whatever, I used to come down and think if I was really hard, they'll never do it again. Bible says the law fuels sin, doesn't it? Being real hard wasn't going to stop and going to change their behavior. So I started to use these opportunities as times to teach. And I would begin to ask my kids as I'd get alone with them afterwards. There's going to be consequences for your disobedience. But I'm going to ask you a question before we decide what the consequence is going to be. During that time between when you were told what to do and when you didn't do it and you were caught. Or you were told not to do something and you did it. Was there ever a time that the spirit of God within you said, I need to do what I'm supposed to or I'm not supposed to do this? And inevitably, most of the time, the kids will say, yeah. And I'll sit down with them and I'll say, look, please 
don't become hard-hearted to that voice. Because if we learn to tune it out, in time we become hard-hearted and we really get ourselves in a mess. So I want you to learn, I want you to learn how to recognize that voice when the Spirit of God is speaking to you. And it starts soft and it starts simple when we start to begin to walk in disobedience. And folks, I want to say the same thing to you. You don't intentionally plan to do the big sins. You end up there. What happens is, is you've learned over time to tune out when the Spirit of God convicts or the Spirit of God speaks to your heart. And you become hard-hearted over time. I'm saying to you, fall on your face before God. If that's happened, go back to Him and say, soften my heart again to your voice and begin to recognize when He's speaking to you softly. And then, oh, by the way, you'll not only learn to recognize when He's pointing out error, you'll also begin to recognize when He speaks to you in love. And you become one of those intimates that God has. Now, the third thing I want to pull out from here from this passage back here in 2 Peter chapter 1 is this, and I just touched on it earlier. We forget things pretty easily and we need to be reminded. Peter was not ashamed of saying the same thing again. That's something we preachers struggle with. It, you know, I don't know how much worship leaders struggle with it because, you know, we sing a lot of the same songs and nobody cares. But, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times I struggle with preaching a similar message or have I already said this before? And God's been really speaking to me. He says, if I tell you to say it again, say it again. And not worry about that. Don't beat yourself up when you forget stuff, folks. Don't beat yourself up when you forget stuff. It's a part of being human. But put some things in place to remind you. If you know you forget stuff, like Peter says, I'm going to make every effort to make sure that after my departure, you'll have ways to remember these things. And then as I was sitting there thinking about this, and my, my wife grabbed my stuff out of the car, could you run real quick to the van? There's a hymn book there. I didn't realize that I had, didn't, it's, it's in the van. I actually rode in a different car over here. If you don't mind grabbing that real quick. There's a hymn that I planned for tonight that I want to read to you that I think speaks real powerfully about what we're talking about. And so while she's going in and grabbing that out of the car, what I want to talk to you about is this. Because we forget stuff, and because we have a tendency in our humanness to say, I know, I've heard that before. I want to challenge you to be willing to just say, I need to hear it again. I need to hear it again. And don't be afraid to have ways that you remind yourself little things. Back when my wife and I were first married, I can tell this before she gets back. Um, <laughs> She was taking birth control pills when we were first married, as many of you did. Well, when you're first married, you've never been taking those before, and sometimes you forget. It's not something you want to do if you're not planning on having kids until later. And so my wife made herself a little reminder on the mirror of our bathroom in the trailer. She knows what I'm talking about now. It literally said this. It, all, all the reminder said was, have you hugged your kid today? <laughs> People that visited us in our trailer would go into our bathroom, see that, have you hugged your kid today, knowing we didn't have any children, and just assume it was me. Which was fine. It was a safe assumption. She's for years said she has four children. But it was her reminder, if you don't take the pill, you're going to have a child before you plan on having a child. But it was a neat way to remind her. And so there's nothing wrong with putting things in place to remind us. And then I thought about this hymn. 
I love to tell the story. Listen to the words. It says, I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat. What seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story, it will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. This is my favorite verse though. I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory, I sing the new, new song, twill be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Amen. Folks, many of you fly in airplanes like I do with what I do. You know that before the plane takes off, uh, I'm gonna date myself, the stewardesses, <laughs> flight attendants get up and they go through the safety procedures. And when you first started flying and you first got on the plane, you were shushing everybody around you because you wanted to make sure you didn't miss a word, right? Yeah. But then over time, if you're like me, you don't even look up anymore. You don't pull the card out when they tell you to pull the card out. When they do all their, here are the exits, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know where they are. I've been on planes before. I heard it. Been there, done that. The sad thing is, I think many Christians today have gotten that way with the gospel. I know the gospel. How many times have people over the years, when the preacher starts talking about those out there that need Jesus, they put their shoes back on because the sermon must be almost over. Oh, he's talking to those lost people out there. They close their Bibles because it's time to go to lunch. And folks, I just want to tell you, the church today is acting like they have forgotten the message of the gospel. Because if you were reminded of the fact that you needed it and you still need it, and it's what Jesus who made you righteous, it's Jesus that's made you holy. You are as guilty as anybody because of your sin. If you understand the gospel, it'll be sweeter and sweeter every time. And so I want to challenge you in your reminding yourself of these things. Why don't you make first and foremost the thing you remind yourself of every day, the gospel. Jesus, I needed you in 1973 or whatever year it was, and I need you today. I thank you for what you did in 1973, and I thank you for what you're going to do today. And you watch what happens as you daily remember and put some things in place to remind you of the gospel. You'll start to become one of those intimates. You'll start to become one of those intimates. In Luke, we see a story of Jesus at this Pharisee's house and a woman pours perfume all over his feet. And then she washes it with her hair. And the Pharisee said, if this man were a prophet, he'd know what sign a woman was talking, was touching him right now. And Jesus says to the man, he says, Simon, let me ask you a question. He said, there's two people. One owed a big debt and they were forgiven. One owed a small debt and they were forgiven. Which one's going to love more? And he says, well, the one that was forgiven the greater debt. And Jesus says, you, you've answered correctly. He said, because those who have been forgiven much, love much. 
Those who have been forgiven little, love little. Well, hang on for a second. Doesn't James chapter 2 verse 10 say that if we keep all of God's law yet stumble at just one point, we're guilty as if we broke it all? Is there really anybody that's been forgiven more than anybody else according to James 2.10? No. Except Exactly. So what was Jesus saying? He was saying this. Those who realize they've been forgiven much, love much. Those who think they've been forgiven little, love little. Oh, I grew up in my churches all my life seeing people who thought they'd been forgiven little. They didn't have a deep love for man or, or God. But those who understood that they'd been forgiven much, loved much. Oh, let me tell you something. You're going to forget that. You're going to forget that if you don't have somebody remind you and places put things put in place to remind you, you're going to forget how much you've been forgiven. Because as we walk along in this life, we come to a point where we start thinking, I wasn't that bad of a person. Satan reminds me every day. <laughs> Satan reminds <laughs> There's one last thing, and I'm not going to take any time to really do that, that it could pull out of this passage. He calls his body a tent. And if any of you have ever known anything about tents, thank God they're temporary living quarters, correct? <laughs> um, your body's a tent. Talks about that in the book of Corinthians as well. I've joked for years that I've got a double wide tent. You know, some of you have pup tents. But uh, this body is just a shell. The real you is going to live for eternity, whether with God or without. The real you is not what we see in the body. So don't make appearances for yourself or for anybody else on what you see on the outside. I love how Peter said, I'm going to put this temporary uh, enclosure away. Boy, I can't wait for that. Well, as, you go, as he goes on from here, though, in verses 16 and following, he then goes on to say that make sure that the story you hear lines up with Scripture. He then goes on and says, you know, I'm going to make sure that you're reminded of these things. And then he says, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, he goes into detail now to show that what he and the other apostles were saying lined up with scripture and fulfilled prophecy. Remember, this is God's story, not ours. When we talk about the gospel here. Beware of any preacher teacher who teaches from their experiences and not from Scripture. I'm going to say it again. Listen closely. Beware of any preacher teacher that preaches from their experiences and not from Scripture. There's nothing wrong with sharing experiences as long as they what? Line up with Scripture. I was actually confronted by a pastor uh, about 12 years ago now who sat me down and wanted me to join his group of other pastors who were being slain in the spirit. And they wanted it to spread into the churches. And so as he was taking me to lunch to talk to me about that, I asked him, well, I don't see falling down backwards in the Bible. I said, well, actually, I found it two places, but it's not good. One is in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead. They fell down backwards. They were slain. They, they were slain. And the other one's in John chapter 18 where Jesus is in the garden and they come to arrest him. And he says, who have you come for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. Our translations say, I am he. But he really said, I am. And when he said, I am, they all fell backwards. I said, I don't see what you're purporting and you want me to join with you in. I don't see it in the Bible. This is what he said to me. He said this, I know it's not in the Bible. But when it happens to you, you will have to believe it too. 
Folks, be careful. Be careful of those who teach from experience, but not from the scripture. Now, some of you could say, well, wait a minute. Isn't Peter doing that? Isn't Peter talking from experience? Listen to what he says. He says, for he received honor and glory, verse 17, from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Isn't Peter doing that? Isn't Peter just saying, hey, we had this experience with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw it and we want to talk to you about what we saw. Well, one could easily say he's just teaching from experience. But let me point out a few things. First of all, Peter was not only an eyewitness. Um, what he witnessed was written down as scripture. Well, that's the next thing we're going to get to. But the first part I want you to see is this. It was written down in Scripture. Uh, go with me real quickly to Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. It says, After six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Oh, go with me to Mark chapter 9. By the way, the thing that jumped out at me just now while I was reading that was, I love the fact that Jesus didn't wait for, or God didn't wait for Peter to stop talking. <laughs> while he was still talking, God broke in. I, you know, sometimes God is going to be that way with me sometimes. Look at Mark chapter 9, though. Verses 1 through 10. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see if the kingdom of God come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love this. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Isn't that kind of interesting? He didn't know what to say, so he talked a lot. I love that. By the way, who's the one doing all the talking? Peter. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that neat? God uses all of us in all different kinds. Go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. It says, About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. 
As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and the cl his clothes became as bright as flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. I love it. I love it. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was still speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. Now we know from the other gospel accounts why they didn't tell anybody. Jesus told them not to tell anybody until after he'd risen from the dead. Let me give you one more. Let's go to the gospel of John. Go to chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We, who's writing this, by the way? John. John. He was one of the three. Peter, James, and John. We have seen His glory, the glory, of the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Folks, Peter wasn't just talking from experience. One, he had been chosen by God and called by God to be a capital A apostle. And his eyewitness testimony was not only eyewitness testimony that could be trusted, his eyewitness testimony was also it became scripture. Actually, I'm going to share something with you real quick that some of you may not know. Do you realize that the gospel of Mark most likely is the preaching of Peter? Scholars have pretty much come to the conclusion that Mark's gospel written by John Mark was actually him writing down Peter's, Peter's preaching and teaching about the life of Jesus and his experiences. And you'll see a lot of times in the book of Acts, Peter will begin to preach and teach about Jesus, beginning with John's baptism and going until his, his resurrection. And it's interesting. Mark starts with John's baptism and goes to, to the places it talks about. The other gospels start with the birth of Jesus and these different things. But Mark's gospel starts with John the Baptist and then and there are many that believe that Mark's gospel actually is the recording of Peter's preaching. So remember when Peter said, I'm going to make every effort to make sure that after my departure, you'll be reminded of these things. The gospel of Mark may be one of those things that he was talking about, which is kind of cool. You had your hand raised a while ago. Uh, Allison, do you still remember? Yeah, this, it also provides more than enough for what the law said had to be for a witness. Of Definitely. An it definitely had more than what the law said because it wasn't just Peter, it was James, it was John. Also, you not only had Jesus there, you had the law, which is Elijah represented the law, and Moses sorry, Moses represented the law, and Elijah represented the prophets. Isn't that interesting? You had God speak himself. Well, for the Pharisees who were yep. such sticklers. Yep. More than two there were two witnesses at least. Exactly. And then he, he then goes on in verse 19 of chapter 1 of 2 Peter. Go back to chapter Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. It says, We have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises on your hearts. And he wraps up by just saying, well, Let me tell you something about prophecy, folks. He said, You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. In other words, 
No prophet ever said, well, I think. What, what, I, what I think is. Mm -mm. No, that never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, hopefully most of you know what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, right? All scripture is what? God breathed. Now, we're going to deal with something real quick that's kind of a, a wrestling match for some. The men that God used to write the scriptures that we have from Genesis to maps. All right. I was hoping that somebody would catch that. Okay, Genesis to Revelation. All right. Some of you haven't looked in the back of your Bible in a while. All right. All right. Actually, the newer, the newer editions don't have the maps like they used to the study Bibles we grew up with. So, But the men that God used to write scripture through. Were they puppets in the sense that God dictated and they just wrote? Or did they write with their own personality? They wrote with their own personality. But listen, the scripture says that God gave them the words. Every word is God breathed. Now, it's an interesting mixture. They didn't all of us. Every book doesn't read like God. You know, that's one of the things that when people look at scripture, they wrestle with, well, how could so-and-so write it? Because his writing here is a little different style than this one. That's why some people wrestle with John. Did he really write the book of Revelation? Because this is different than his gospel and this kind of stuff. And trust me, uh, what he was writing about was a whole different type of a thing. But the people's personalities are in there. The people that God used, they were there, in there, in the writing. Yet, as they wrote, they were still under the control of the Holy Spirit that he controlled what actually went and what didn't go out. Now, in some way, it's nothing like Scripture because there are times that God goes, oops, I didn't tell him to say that. But in the same way, as we preach and teach, God does the same thing through us. You know, I don't lose my personality when I preach. I've always been a little leery of those ministers that do that, by the way. I've known men that I worked with on staff at churches, which I would hang out with them and they'd be one way, but they got in the pulpit and all of a sudden they took on a glow. You ever been with those kind of people that they're they, in one way you talk with them, but then when they pray, oh, father, and all of a sudden they change when they pray. And I remember there's this one friend of mine, his name was Dan. And I actually sat down with him one time and I said, you're making me a little confused because when I hang out with you, you're one way. But whenever you become ministerial, you put on this air. You're pretending for somebody. You're pretending in the pulpit or you're pretending with us. And it was a good chance for him to come to realize. And when God showed me when he called me to preach early, he said, I didn't call you to become a preacher. I called you to preach. I chose you the way I chose you. I gifted you the way I've gifted you. I've wired you the way I've wired you. I want to shape it and mold it and, 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 and get it under my control. But I don't want you to lose who you are. Folks, when, when you've been called by God to do something, you don't stop being yourself, Right. You still be yourself. Now, all of us need, need a little bit of honing down, a little bit of sanding on the rough edges, but you still got to be you. Grandma Cuckoo's got to stay Grandma Cuckoo, all right? All right? That's just the way it is. Go ahead, Allison. And John, the gospel, John Revelation, is going to be a little different because he had been through some of that process. He had sure been through that and process. So those hard lines are going to be softened, and yep. the planing is going to be done, the wood's going to be smooth. Exactly. Turn me real quick as we wrap up to the book of Jude. And let me give you a real wonderful example of the people still being themselves, but under the control of the Holy Spirit and what they write. The book of Jude gives us a wonderful picture of it as it starts off. All right. So turn to Jude. 
Look at verse 3. Jude verse 3. Look at what he says here. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time the next two weeks or the next two weeks we get together are when we're going to be looking at this. Because if you go on in chapter two of Second Peter, we're going to break that down into two studies and we're going to deal with false teachers and how to watch out for them. I'm not here to name names. I'm not here to I think the Holy Spirit spirit can give you wisdom and, and understanding it's not my purpose to sit here and name names but we're going to talk specifically from the scriptures about how to watch out for the false teachers you're going to see as we get to it that there are doctrines out there right now who have been taught by demons and in the church today these doctrines are being taught and so but here jude said i wanted to write you about this wonderful salvation we've been given but as i started to put pen to paper i realized Spirit of God says, I got to go here. And he was moved by God to write this book. We're going to be using this book a lot, by the way, as we deal with chapter two of Second Peter. So for tonight, just be reminded of the fact that there are those who are God's intimates and hunger to be one. Hunger to be one. And begin to put things in place that remind you always of the gospel. Spend time in his word and watch out for false teaching. I hope you examine everything I say. I really, I, I, it's, when I was younger, I used to hate it when somebody questioned me. It hurt my pride. But the longer I've walked with the Lord, the more I realize, man, I don't even know what I'm talking about half the time. It's the grace of God that I'm able to have people who want to listen. Amen. Hey. <laughs> and uh, at the same time, at the same time though, I love to see people wrestle with it because I don't want you to have a faith that's based on what Jim said. I want you to have a faith that's based on a living relationship with Jesus Christ for yourself. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for this chance to get together. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that in this one section that Peter wrote before he died, it is still having an effect to this day. Lord, here we are, 2,000 years later almost. And what Peter wrote what Peter put in place to remind them some of those things are being used of you to help us. Wow, Lord, I just pray that we would have a desire to leave a trail behind us, a trail of breadcrumbs, if you will, that would point people to you, that we would not, knowing when our time would come and if you choose to tell us and give us a heads up, that'd be awesome. But at the same time, maybe some of us aren't ready to handle it. By the time you told Peter and Paul and them all, they were. But Lord, I just pray that we would live our lives in such a way that the people that come behind us, if you tarry, would be pointed to you. Lord, a lot of people want to leave a good inheritance for their kids or uh, put things in place so that they'll be well taken care of. Father, may our first desire be to make sure that our children and our grandchildren know you Amen. and are firmly established in a relationship with you, not a religion. Father, we pray for everybody here lovingly call us to that deeper walk put within us that hunger for more of you and may we become some of your intimates we pray this in jesus name
Amen. Amen.